So, dialogue. Hey, guys. Let's talk about some dialogue, okay? Welcome to the Writing Block Podcast, where we talk about all things writing and indie publishing. Uh, We're here today to talk about dialogue. One of the number one things that I think stresses most writers out. At least, that's my own personal view. I'm here with uh, Michael Hayes, Jason Chestnut, and uh, Kendra. How do I pronounce that? Oh, yeah, we Uh, covered this last night. You can you have two different options actually. So yeah, yeah. So I've used this pen name since I was in seventh grade. Um, so the, my middle school friends call it named nil. Uh, people who have met me as an adult have insisted that it's nomad nil. I'm fine with either, but so it's, you know. it's whether if you want to go more literal or kind of fancy or exotic. I'm okay. just going to call you Kendra. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> or Kendra. I, I like that too. Uh, Kendra or Ked or Kendralian if you're being crazy. What's <laughs> what's amazing to me about this thus far is that I've already screwed this up with the co-author of my current whip. <laughs> like, how do I manage that? Well, I know you. To be fair, you do know my actual maiden name, so yes. Right? So like, I froze entirely there. Don't say it wrong. That would be so embarrassing. And then look what happened. <laughs> Delightful conversation. Yeah, this is wonder. This is wonderful dialogue we're having, actually. It, it, in fact, oh, look it at is. that segue. That's classic. <laughs> See, guys, this is how how you're supposed to write dialogue and end scene. Woo, everybody! So I've got a question, actually, because I've got a style of dialogue that I very much like, but I don't see it too much in a lot of modern books that I've been looking at. I like dialogue that appears at the very end of a paragraph. Yeah, I, I enjoy that process as well. Um, I like to end with that um, quite a bit. Like kind of just the whole paragraph is taking care of the action and the dialogue at the end is... Yeah, and the dialogue like, at the end is usually pretty short, like three to eight words. And it's some it's a way of like summarizing everything that was said in the paragraph, but giving it, you know... Giving it punch. I think yeah. I've done that a few times, actually. Maybe. It's, one of my favorite styles to read because you know i love all the details and stuff but i don't like reading paragraphs of dialogue but i do love ending you know what i mean yeah no that's i that's an interesting take because i think most people just the general feel is that you've got to kind of as soon as dialogue happens you're starting a new paragraph but that's not Mm -hmm. always true um but yeah is there anything you're reading right now that does that that you can think of offhand or uh i've got something right in front of me but it's just a work in progress for a trashy vampire romance novel well that sounds good <laughs> all righty so uh the scene is uh she's playing a video game with her roommate and it's first person uh i took out someone with a flamethrower just as the game's timer went off bringing the count up to 17 not for myself the team won by a smidge but i wasn't even doing this for them tonight Besides, for playing one-handed while drinking my ice-cold beverage, I'd done pretty well. Decolette kicked me lightly with the foot on my lap, and I glared to the side. What? Cool. Yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> yeah. What, what part of it's trashy, the romance or the vampire? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this is a series. You're allowed to... It's okay to self-promote. What's the name of this series that you're working on? Uh, Tranquil Veins. The cover art is better than the series. Um <laughs> It's basically, I took the trope of the recklessly horrible 
you know how there are those women who are powerhouse warriors who aren't afraid of anything and do very illogical things constantly? Uh, right. She is the protagonist. Um, and <laughs> other people see that she is doing reckless things constantly. And it's just kind of goes forward no matter what and screw the consequences. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Alrighty. I like that. Yeah. It's uh Oh, also don't read it when you're taking on a diet. Cause she's dealing with addiction. And the way she does that is anytime she sees food, she eats it. Oh man. So it sounds like mm. my life. As I say, that's <laughs> highly relatable material. <laughs> I forget what's, uh, I can't find the scene directly in front of me, but there's a part where she sits, she walks into someone's house, first time she's ever met them, uh, says hi, and then immediately goes to their fridge, takes out a pack of ramen, starts making it, looks in the freezer, finds some Hot Pockets and throws those also in the toaster oven. And just as like, that's, that's just how she introduces herself to this person. It's right great. on. Okay. Sounds like my teen years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, add a Mountain Dew and you're good, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's Sounds a... like my retirement plan. <laughs> That's <laughs> going to be a brief retirement. <laughs> That's the plan. See, I mean, every time I hear the word hot pocket, I just think of Jim Gaffigan. Ah, my back hurts. Oh, yeah. Dead pockets. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> So, so Kendra and, and Chris, you both write mainly fantasy, it seems, and you're working on a project together, which is cool. But I was kind of uh, curious, Chris, you were saying that, like, you think that dialogue's one of the harder things for you as an author? Or oh, no, that... no, 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 not for, not for me. I, I, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on it myself, or at least for what I like to do. Uh, many people may disagree with that, but... Uh, <laughs> that's their problem, not mine. But uh, uh, I read it a lot in in writers groups and and you know forums and those sorts of things. Oh, I'm really struggling with dialogue, and uh, it, it just seems to me to be one of those things that hangs up or causes people to get a hang up when they're writing. You know, and I think that's particularly prevalent in stuff like fantasy and sci-fi. Dialogue is is not the strong suit of most sci-fi or fantasy authors. You know, usually it's world building that's the strong suit or really heavy description, uh, being really flowery with the language and their prose. Uh, and then it gets to the time where the wizard needs to say the cool thing. And then it's like, that guy's not cool at all. Like, he, he <laughs> made him really cool in the description. But then when he opened his mouth, it was like, no. <laughs> kind of lost. Yeah. Kind of lost. See, I love dialogue, though. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know, because I, I was drawn, you know, we in the background, we kind of figure out the themes of these episodes and figure out who would be most enthusiastic to join them. And so I, I love writing dialogue. I'm not say, I, I hardly ever get it right on the first try. But mm -hmm. if anything, if, if there's a part of writing anything that I love revising, uh, dialogue's my favorite. Uh, just fine tuning all that. And that's kind of why I jumped on. And that's usually my favorite part of of most books that I read is, is I enjoy the story, but it's usually the dialogue that gives me the little punches and the reason to um, quote a book. But I don't know. I, Jason, what I, I know Jason, you were um, enthusiastic to be on this too. So I'm kind of curious. Uh, what do you think? Is dialogue um, rough or is it fun? No dialogue is fun for me. And it used to be, uh, it used to be the other way around. I think, I, I think early on um, when I was younger and started writing, it was the hardest thing for me to do, but now it's the most fun. And now I have to kind of restrain myself from just having pages and pages of conversations. Um, yeah. 
because I just like, I feel like if you do dialogue, right. Cause I, I, I do, I do believe that everything in, in your story has to have a purpose. It has to have some meaning or some reason to be there. And I think that you could still have meaningful dialogue and have it come off like a natural conversation, but still be building character and building exposition. Because I think that's, and I think that's the hardest thing about fantasy and sci-fi is, is the info doc where you've got to like, drop a bunch of inf- mm-hmm. information and, and background lore and stuff and uh some some writers sacrifice an entire chapter or two just for that um and then you get back into dialogue and it's like oh we got to get back to people actually talking and acting like human beings after all that information overload yeah i think that's the hardest thing and i think it's also uh, especially in those types of stories it's really it's i think it's really easy to fall into just turning dialogue into just exposition after exposition after exposition instead of just like character building and like like this is how we get to know this person by by the way they talk and the way they react to people and the way they respond to different types of cues and conversation instead of just like let me explain the plot to you for the next paragraph yeah I, i think that's where i love dialogue and where i get caught up is what happens around dialogue I mean, obviously, I'm doing you know this sort of thing with the podcast. I love talking. Oh yeah, um, talking is great. <laughs> talking is wonderful. Um, but it's it's where I get hung up is not so much the dialogue itself. It's like trying to keep myself from explaining what people are doing while they're talking. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. You know, not 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 oh, giving yeah. my readers like the the benefit of the doubt that they're okay like not showing that somebody's leaning against something or or fiddling with their fingers like i, I it's it's weird I, I think i get trapped at least especially in the first draft doing the dialogue but also trying to insert like movements that are so unnecessary right. that's usually where most of my stuff hits the cutting floor is just it's like okay it's it's okay they can just talk and the reader can picture whatever um <laughs> i think that comes from overcorrection. Uh, by yeah. many of us because there's the you know you if you're not moving in the scene then there's something wrong with the scene you know there has to be some sort of movement that's like the rule right uh so i think we automatically just start putting it in there whenever we haven't moved the character in a while we're like oh no they have to do something scratch their <laughs> nose you know, it's <laughs> like what does that serve um, and again i think you're right right you hit it on the nose right there with you're not giving the reader credit one of the things that i loved about like Frank Herbert's writing uh, Dune was that mm-hmm. I didn't have to have him tell me what the characters were doing. It was one of the, one of the few fiction novels that I fell into 100% and, and almost like a, like a hallucination <laughs> like when I was reading his work, because it, I just had such a, a grasp on what they were doing based on how they were talking to each other. And then when the movies came out, you know, or whenever I saw one of the movies, like the one from the 80s, that was like, OK, this is totally not what I envisioned. And then they had the sci fi one. And I was like, hmm, this isn't what I envisioned either. You know, and I think that goes to show uh, how dialogue can be so important that if you build the character through the words that they say, what they look like, according to you know your description, kind of falls away because the way I imagine characters often doesn't fit the description that they put in there. Well, it's it's not so much that there has to be a lot of dialogue or not, but when I'm watching how they're talking to each other, what their word choice is, because um, you can kind of feel when someone's talking, whether they're upset or not, whether they mm-hmm. would probably be twitching and moving or whether they're just monologuing on a soapbox. And the really good dialogue, I usually like shorter dialogue, but even the longer stuff, 
you get a sense of their emotion, even though you don't have the cues there. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that very much rooted in the whole uh, show? Don't tell. Like if you are illustrating a character through their word choices and the way they talk, that's more showing than telling because mm-hmm. you're, you're building a character that way. You're just letting the character kind of describe themselves through their dialogue instead of having to rely heavily on, on having to explain stuff, I guess. Yeah. I, I think that's where it lands with me. I usually try, there's at least some sort of recipe of people I've met built into characters that I write. And what they say is, is a result of that. And because of that, it's like it, you, you hear people say certain things and you know that they're almost doing, you, you can, there's at least a, a, a very short menu of gestures that go along with certain things that people say, uh, the word choice and everything that, that everybody can kind of, you know, the reader will automatically insert. It's, it's not like anybody is actually going to, unless you're really doing poor dialogue, nobody's going to read uh, a character saying something and actually picture them standing there stiff as a board. (laughs) Man, they didn't tell me what he was doing. He must must be frozen. (laughs) Agreed, but there's a point where, unless it's someone who's like honestly narrating, I've had places where when I'm editing works for people, they have one character talk to another character who's not, you know, they should be having an interaction. And that character will say, probably 50 or 100 words without the other character interjecting at all. And that can be very unnatural in terms of like conversation flow. Um, Yeah, true. Especially these days. We're meant to like kind of run over each other. It's not just back chatter, but actually interact. And unless they're trying to set the character that's doing all of that monologuing up as either like super preachy or just an asshole, they can accidentally ruin their protagonist that way, where it's just like... Mm. Anytime they speak, they don't even give a fuck what the other people are talking about. Oh, God, I'm not sorry about fuck. No, it's an explicit podcast. We don't limit word choice here. It's okay. Why, thank you. We're only only allowed three, so way to go. Now we're down to two. Then we have to pay for the rest. (laughs) No, the FCC won't come barking down on us, so... So I agree. We don't give a fuck. So I have a personal rule with with expletives and dialogue. If the subject matter that I'm writing is light and very accessible, I'll use tons of swear words. But if it's more dark and exploring uh, very questionable themes, I clean up my language. I like PG-13 rule. I'm allowed one fuck. So it's it's for like to to allow a, a broader audience for the theme you're trying to convey. Correct. Is that sure? There's totally a premeditated reason for it. Uh, No, it's partially just... (laughs) As it should be. Well, no, it's... uh, For me, it's a way of showing respect to to myself as I'm writing it and potentially to the readers. Like, if it's talking about some serious stuff, I should use language that reflects the fact that this is serious. Uh, Whereas if it's more comical, lighthearted, my trashy vampire romance novels, which are bloody awful, I just love them. Uh, Yeah. They sound fun. They're great. They're they're terrible. Yeah. I wrote them See, for that's my contradictory. Mom. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, actually, I know what she means, and she's yeah, earned herself she's earned herself a link on the info on this podcast. So definitely, oh. <laughs> and oh, a uh, and a purchase, I think. Ninety nine cents. It's uh, <laughs> worth half of that. <laughs> Man, you're really nice. selling that. Well, that's the trashy part. You have to undersell it. 
Well, well that's true. <laughs> 49 and a half cents sold. Yeah, I, I had one of my beta readers describe the, the sex scene in there as being the most raunchy, nonsensical piece of nonsense they'd ever read. read and they will never forget it because it literally made them laugh out loud. And I think it was like the dentist office. Well, I'm sold. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this sounds good to me. <laughs> this is on a ride. Making a dental appointment as we speak. I go with it. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to get that in there. So what about dialogue? I, I think the thing that the subject that everybody gets caught up on are the dreaded dialogue tags. There seems to be a divided audience. Like, what do you what do you do, Jason? Like, what do you the seds? It seems like there's a divided crowd. Um, predominantly, I stick with the seds. Uh, I do feel like it's okay to um, use a word that kind of denotes some kind of action or something that they're doing, or or kind of implies an emotion without saying explicitly what the emotion is uh but i mostly stick with said and that's not and that's not a hard and fast rule with me i'm not one of these people that's like it all has to be said but i i just feel like if it's appropriate to use something else i think it for emphasis but i think for the most part said is good enough because i think the words whatever's like coming out of their mouths should be should be enough to get across what their what what their emotional state is, what their intentions are, but yeah, I I kind of mix it up. I can mostly stick with said, but I do mix it up. Yeah, I think it, it's weird because I've I've heard people say only said, and then people are saying that's just that gets doldrums <laughs> to read. Um, you don't even read it most of the time. If there's yeah. a dialogue tag, your mind just skips right over it and goes to the next line. That's totally true. Yeah. I feel like my goal is to try to eliminate the tags as much as possible to actually create as much of a tonal difference in the characters' voices to not need the tags as much as possible. I think that's a goal of mine. That's like a final draft goal of mine Um, because I've read way too many dialogue tags. And there's definitely stuff that's published where it's just like, oh, um, but... I like the exchanges when they're fast. Like Christopher Moore is one of my favorite authors. He does uh, comedic satire novels. um, And he gets the characters to two different points tonally where they're going to be an entire page exchange of just dialogue back and forth without any tags. And you know who is saying what and you just read it real fast. Like it just flows beautifully. And I think that's just that's a long term goal of mine is to be that good. (laughs) <laughs> I like to start with an action and then just end with the dialogue without without a tag. Mm, right yeah, there. yeah. Omitting the tags is usually best. I will say, if you're gonna use a tag, set is fine, except when it's a question. Use the word "ask." Just, just, just do it. We know it's yeah, a don't, question. Don't. It's got a question mark. Don't say "said." They asked a question. I'm, you actually pronounce it differently. I'm gonna say a question now. <laughs> it is funny that the question that's, that's so funny because yeah i've seen that with people get bound up uh in drafts with questions because they do like to say somebody asked which is kind of the implication of the question mark so you can kind of eliminate it but then there's like a series of questions and people will just get out there with a thesaurus and just just hit it hard with Somebody oh, asked, oh, yeah. somebody inquired. I, I, I eliminate the tags altogether for questions. Like that's what a question mark is for. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. I'm fine with it being omitted. But if you if you have a question mark and then you put said, that implies that you say it without a question mark inflection when I'm reading it. And it just so so so, so which it, is good for. Just don't do that, people. Well, no, it's unless like, it's sarcasm. Well, yeah, like if, if your mom says something like, "Did you do the dishes?" You would say said because she's not asking, did you do the dishes? She's like, do the <laughs> fucking dishes. 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That is totally not a question. It's right. a threat is what that is. If a character says, what in the hell is wrong with you? It's it's not really a question. They don't want the answer. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but I wouldn't use said with that, though, in that situation. Maybe I don't steamed. even think I would use it. <laughs> <laughs> Usually you don't have to specify who the attack when it's a question like that. Yeah. <laughs> Replace asked with postulated. Oof. Oh, now we're getting fancy. Postulated. Oh my god, and I've read that. I just yeah, I don't know. I sometimes the overreach with the synonyms just Yeah, it's tag. like were they really postulating? Really? I, uh, yeah. Like the only place that would be forgivable is if the char- the same character every time they asked the question always postulated. So you're just like, yeah, okay, this is just a character quirk. <laughs> the postulator. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing, actually. I want to develop a character that just, just simply postulates <laughs> throughout the entire manuscript, just always postulating. Yes, uh, yes. But that you know that can be like Chris, you were saying your characters quip a lot. They quip. Uh, what else do they retort? They do that a lot. Rebut. And that's usually in first drafts. And I go, okay, you've already set up the dialogue as an obvious rebuttal. I mean, they're totally chewing somebody's ass right now. You don't need to say it. <laughs> see, I, I'm a fan and I don't see it a lot. And so I, that's where I wonder, it's like, am I screwing up? I, I use a, I, I tend to, so far in my short career, use a lot of italicizing and caps to indicate volume and inflection. And I don't know if that's just a weakness of mine or if I'm cutting edge. I wouldn't call it a weakness. <laughs> My understanding from what I've looked at is that cap- using like caps locks for um, emphasize emphasis and volume is more of a uh, late 1800s, early 1900s kind of a grammatical thing. It's had a few resurgences in my understanding. I'm old fashioned. <laughs> but you don't see it a lot in modern prose. I don't think it's a problem. It's just might take someone a chapter to get used to. I, I use yeah. I use italics uh, uh, pretty pretty often, but um, for inflection, I probably have more of a problem with exclamation points than I do with ca- with caps. So, see, I, it might be in modern age. I get the urge to do multiple, uh, like if somebody because especially if somebody's yelling something that's a, a swear word. Um, oh yeah, the triple. Exclamation. I like doing the yeah, or or uh, the 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 question mark sandwich with exclamation point bread. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I like doing that. And, and then I read a lot of stuff and I don't see it a lot. And I'm like, oh, oh, OK, <laughs> right on. I do want to go back to one thing that you were saying earlier, Mike, about eliminating the tags altogether. I do feel like that's something that as I go through revisions, they they disappear. They mm-hmm. tend to like shrink down because I do feel like even though uh, said is OK, I, I do like seeing less of it overall. But I do think that 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 that's definitely something that comes with experience, because I think with a lot of newer writers uh, that are trying to write original stuff, they get hung up on said a lot. Said, 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 said. I think it can be used as a marker for when you're going back to another draft or, you know, to a previous draft. Sure. If it has said or some sort of tag that's denoting what the dialogue is, to me, it's a sign of weak dialogue. If you're having to explain what is happening in the dialogue, then then either something's not right with the scene, you need to move the character around, give them some sort of action, maybe. But uh, to me, it's automatically like, okay, the dialogue isn't punchy enough, at least for me. Um, And so whenever I go back and I go, okay, I put this tag here, why? Was it because I didn't know what this character was supposed to say here? Or 
or do I do I need to shift this? Do I need to change it? So it can be a good indicator uh, for me, at least, that there's there's some work that needs to be done. That's definitely a great way to look at it. Absolutely, well, I agree. And, and tags become absolutely essential when you have multiple people talking, uh, more than two, three or four or five characters in an area, and they all ju- jump in at different points in a conversation. You can do it without tags through just having like a paragraph describing someone walking into the room, and then having a little line of dialogue or you know mm-hmm. or you could just skip that and you know trust the reader's intelligence assuming that they're not just teleporting into the space or what have you and have the word said <laughs> or um you know i like the word interjected oh yeah that's, mm. that's a favorite of that's mine a good too. One. yeah i i do see that a lot with people who are in the earlier draft stages they they use a lot of uh what are we calling dialogue tags And it's a fair kind of place to just, I think when I do my first draft, I kind of almost decide on said just to get through it. I have to kind of throw something in there. There's like, okay, this is, this is my recipe that I will fix later on. Cause there, and and that's where I think a lot of uh, people I've, I've talked to get caught up on the first draft is that they were too worried about making it like the second, third, fourth, or final draft or 15th draft. But it's just like, it's, it's okay. Just. Just rip through it. You know, actually, as far as writing dialogue goes for me, I know that when I'm writing it, it gets worse when I'm sitting there thinking about it. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah but if I'm sure. if I'm able to finally give myself permission to just rattle through it and just forget it, I don't care who's saying what and what certain way or what they're doing. I, you know, I might have some of my drafts be just like, like I think you said, Jason, like pages of just dialogue back and forth. And, and then mm-hmm. later on, I'll be like, OK, this obviously we need a break here to <laughs> describe what the hell is going on, because this is 4000 words of dialogue. Uh, so it's but yeah. that's that's the fun. I, I actually that's why I like dialogue so much is that I feel like that's the fun of writing a first draft to me, at least because you can just rattle through it and then figure out what is important, what it's not. And it makes the next editing pass um, a lot more fun, but because you, you can't really think too much about what people are saying at first. Uh, it's because to me, at least in my mind, that interrupts a conversation that's natural between people you've made up and their voices in your head. <laughs> so mm. why negotiate with the crazy when you're trying to get words down? <laughs> Well, when you put it that way, what you're saying is I'm basically bantering with myself. Exactly. You're trying to interrupt them. You're trying to, yeah, make the crazy sane. And then it's like, uh, well, this sounds too sane. We've (laughs) overdone it a bit. Let's back up and make it crazy. And, but I don't know. And plus, dialogue's just plain fun because you can just ignore grammar. That's oh my god, yes, it's so much. You can ignore spelling. You can ignore grammar. All the rules are just out the window. Between those quotation marks, you're just like, ah, screw it. Let's just go. (laughs) It's great. Yeah, it does take the pressure off. You're like, I don't have to craft this beautifully. I can just fucking say it. Mm -hmm. What's the general rule? um, And I know there's different schools of thought on this. What's the general general rule about about uh, trying to get an accent across in dialogue? Because I've heard different opinions on that. As a communication major, I, I can say that the ethics of trying to communicate a accent that is not your own native accent are don't do it, don't try, unless you are specifically trained. But in terms of actually making that translate to the uh, page, it's kind of difficult to omit it. 
I guess the way I get around it is I usually have the protagonist uh, and the various characters uh, tease each other for their accents more than have the accents be super pronounced. Fair enough. Yeah, you got to be careful with it. But at the same time, it's like you, you run the risk of totally sabotaging your characters if everybody sounds the exact same. Um, it's particularly if you have chosen to have somebody who has an accent. I think what ends up ignored is that I, one of my favorite books uh, is A Confederacy of Dunces. And mm. the dialogue and the, the just the kind of tone in everybody's, even just uh, the, the narrator's own words when he's you know, everything that's described is just kind of beautifully dark and strange, but it's, it's all in new Orleans and it's, it's like there's different mm-hmm. characters with different accents, but the, the main thing that processes it, cause it was, it was written by a white guy. But the thing that I think that I learned from that book too, is that he uses these accents. If you're using an accent, that's fine, but don't make them because they have an accent less than like somebody who's, "Quote unquote," more well spoken. I mean, if if you're mm-hmm. using it, it's it should be a a color for the character, and if you use it well, it should be fine. I mean, it's okay. You, you're going to have somebody who throws all grammar out the window and has like all sorts of apostrophes in the things that they're saying because they're omitting pieces of words. But if they're still doing, you know, good intelligent things, like if that's not a way to cut them down, I never have yeah, come across. That's a fair point. Uh, anything being controversial with that. Like, don't cut them down with their accent. If it's just part of their personality, it tends to pass, you know. more <laughs> flexibility when you're writing about fantasy characters and giving them accents than when you're writing about things that could be, you know, real life, as it were. Because it's it can be it can be really hard to unsee, like, to see your own personal biases. Accents and dialogue, it's just be careful. You don't want to, like, unconsciously feed into some kind of stereotype well i think that's where i mean it, it's it's bleeding over into the whole thing of like how specifically people describe skin color and it still sucks in a lot of literature <laughs> it's one of those things where if you when people take so much time to to describe a character and and then make them a particular skin color and then give them an accent it's like okay all right okay that's enough <laughs> like, yeah like, obviously, they're uncomfortable writing anybody who's outside of what they consider within their own spectrum of uh, hue of, of skin tone. I, I've seen a lot of jokes around lately, uh, just because this is what gets posted to me and sent to me about uh, if you were to describe white people the way you describe other people, we would all be food. Oh, yeah. And it's true. It's it's fair. It's true. I <laughs> see a lot of uh, olive yeah. colored olive colored skin, chocolate covered colored yep, skin. Yep. Yeah, I see. That's all awful. Yeah. And and it's like, well, I guess if I if I were to use that in any of my writing, even like if it was a chocolatey voice, you know, or something like that, I would have to, in order to be fair, a marshmallowy voice or strawberry with me. Yeah, strawberry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your voice is very strawberry. <laughs> It's a very strong mm. strawberry. Maybe, maybe wild yeah. cherry in the summer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> a peach voice. Instead, with his strawberry tone, pissing off the strawberries. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. And yeah. the shortcakes, too. Yeah. So, well, I have a question. I have a question. Um, how do you guys um, practice your dialogue? Like, what situations do you guys put yourself in? Or where do you feel like you're... you're your dialogue muse comes from uh for me uh it's like coffee shops and, and things like that just listening to people 
and how they interact with each other, how they speak to each other. Uh, where do you, where do you derive that, uh, that skill? Um, because, you know, I, I get that question a lot from people where it's like, well, I mean, I want to practice my dialogue. How do I do it? And the only thing that I have to say at that point is, well, start listening to people. This is how they speak. You know, yeah. they, you know that's how you're going to learn. I call my friends when they're drunk. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's also good blackmail material. Oh gosh. Well, no, like I stopped audio recording them because they told me to because they got really mad. Um, but <laughs> I had to remove the wiretaps because they said so. <laughs> But no, like yeah, I'm picturing it with a mic in their face, like you just don't what? holding up your blue snowball, like just keep talking, you drunk. Well, well no, like when they're <laughs> when people are drunk, they tend to say things as fast as they like. They don't hedge around to go with the carefully plotted out conversation. No, they're like, "You fucking suck. I want to kiss your face." And I'm like, I'm quoting. <laughs> wow. And it's great. It's not a lie. It's not a lie. <laughs> so you you just put an inhibit uh, an in- inhibitory like filter on your characters is what you're saying. There there are no in- inhibitions on my characters. <laughs> this is this is true, <laughs> and I, that's what I think why we work well together. Yes. Yeah, I'll vouch for that. Everything I've read of yours, no inhibitions. It's it's beautiful. Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah. That's that's a soapbox. I'm not getting on that. Uh, <laughs> are you sure? Uh, <laughs> don't tempt. No, but uh, I, I have a question that's. It's always plagued me. So what is the right proportional balance of dialogue to non-dialogue? Because I've got plenty of short stories where there is one word of dialogue or none. And even like a lot of my books, you can go a whole chapter and have maybe two word, two lines exchanged. And they're meaningful lines. But what do you guys think? I think it depends entirely on the story. Yeah, it depends. Uh, it depends on the author's style, what you're trying to convey. The style of the story, I mean, it, yeah, has a lot to do with it. Like if you're trying to, sometimes the lack of dialogue can be very impactful for what the, what you're trying to convey in a particular scene or chapter. I think so. I mean, the opposite can be jarring because I've never seen a story that's entirely dialogue and that's it. Oh, <laughs> maybe I'm sheltered. Uh, that's a screenplay. Uh, cl- <laughs> yeah, it's a screenplay. Yeah, so it's oh, fair enough. I forget who it's by. Uh, Clouds Like White Elephants. It's about as close as I've ever seen. I think it has a paragraph of like maybe 10 sentences that are actually sentences. The rest is all dialogue. I think actually, uh, even though the joke was at my expense, mentioning screenplays is important because, you know, that's an entirely different monster. But all these things. Mm, yes. I mean, all of life is surrounded by dialogue. But really, you can't have a, a good novel length thing that is mostly dialogue. I mean, it's you have to choose what you're revealing is being said. The rest of it is just kind of implied in the background. You aren't having people like, you know, it's here's the beginning of the scene. Hi. Oh, hi. How are you? You know, it's not like <laughs> anything like that. It's it's so that's I think that's where things get caught up is you know I, people have said they've recommended this whole read it back and forth with somebody for your dialogue to see how you know true to form it is but I, i'm i'm back and forth on that because you know if you took like our conversation so far and turned it into text a lot of it would just not make any sense in terms of a reading you know environment it would just kind of feel a little gibberishy but listening to it is different now if you're trying to in- avoid um sounding brittle yeah, definitely read that out. Uh, if you're, if it doesn't sound natural to say, I think that's where you get a lot of dialogue problems to reveal themselves is by reading yeah. it out. But it, natural dialogue, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 something because you're you're doing it, you're trying to accomplish it with people you've you've literally just made up, and I think that's kind of where 
going back to, I think it was Chris's question about where you kind of get your source dialogue is, um, now I'm one of two things. I end up having like, you know, those conversations between, maybe I'm revealing my crazy, but you know, you're in the shower and you have this situation you've set up and you're actually like, I, I'll, I'll verbally try to exchange things between two characters. <laughs> so maybe I'm crazy. But the other thing that influences a lot of my dialogue is my job is just being an ER nurse and going from room to room. I'm a different character in every room, mm-hmm. depending on the mood and what's going on and what's happening. I can joke in one room and turn around and just be like dead serious in another room. And what people say and what they don't say really changes how I approach that situation and that care. And I, you know, even as horrible as that job can be, it's, it's been a tremendous influence on my own approach to dialogue. Um, I like how we just left you there uh, feeling crazy and none of us said nobody anything. To, like, say, no, you're not crazy. You know, just like crickets. I must say, we agree. I'm grateful you guys all are still here. I just figured. Um. <laughs> I think you said something so profound that we had to think about. Yeah, it was very thoughtful. But like, I mean, I, I think I think the true, uh, the same thing can be true of like any job where you're dealing with even like customer service, like you know, waiting tables and everything like that. You you aren't always the same person. No, you. I mean, you definitely um, put on a mask when you're serving people because like mm-hmm. they yeah. don't care yeah. who you are, and if you share that, they won't give you a tip. It, Really, you just want them to give you money. Yeah. Uh, and often they'll reveal to you who they truly are, though. Mm-hmm. That's the interesting yeah. part. Mm-hmm. They're they're yeah. giving you pure honesty and you're you're giving them a character. Yes. And it's 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 really interesting. Um, because they don't know that you're doing that to them. <laughs> it's Please a hard as hell job. My, if you do decide to spit in my food, my name is Michael Hayes. <laughs> I will not be eating in Asheville, North Carolina anytime soon. Oh dear God. Um but no, I mean, I, I think I think they would agree. I mean, I I can't imagine the uh, the years I spent serving and in food service. I, I can't imagine pouring my heart out there at tables <laughs> with the, the kind of jerks I dealt with. <laughs> I guess it's good I never was in the serving industry, uh, but <laughs> I was always in the back room. I was <laughs> I was always in the kitchen. You drive Uber though. You said, "Oh God, that's the same dialogue all over again." I have a whole a whole rehearsed like spiel that i give because it's usually the same question over and over again unless there's somebody who actually takes an interest yeah how long have you been here uh if you asked me that it means i've been here longer than you how long have you been here chris postulated (laughs) (laughs) chris says longer than you he quit (laughs) that was two dialogue tags do not listen to me i don't know what i'm doing out there anybody listening to writing block just delete that part mike (laughs) I said something and then I quipped. I will not. I worked in call centers for a lot of years. And let me tell you, that's that you definitely have to pretend to be somebody else to deal with a lot of the crazies that call in. That's uh, because of years of abuse on the phone. <laughs> that's what you're hearing. I've I've also worked on in a phone center, man. And at, uh, I commend you. Yeah, for the phone company, too, because. Ooh, so you only call when things are wrong, going wrong, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. And and it's important to remember that anybody can get a phone, like anybody can get a phone. So <laughs> just keep that in mind. And all the problems with them are your fault. Exactly. <laughs> so that was a great exercise in embodying a different character. You know, someone who didn't want to rip their eyes out. Well, at the reserve, though, I mean, that's that's part of the art is conveying that reserve in um, not wanting to murder somebody 
with just simply your your words and your dialogue. I, I got a lot of practice writing people who were under a lot of stress and tension and had to put on a happy face. Modern life, isn't it wonderful? Uh, so, so <laughs> tip for all you viewers out there who are like, how do I piss off my server without pissing them off? Ask them a question that forces them to break their mask. We hate that. Ooh. Ooh, give us examples. What's I, I'm going to use this. So, <laughs> He's going to use it in Asheville. Go ahead. So, That's so right. Can, I'm Jason Chestnut. I have a question for you. So it can be as simple as, uh, <laughs> oh, hey, how's your day? And you give the answer and they're like, they're like, no, no, really? How's, how's your day? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. And you're just like, I, I, my script, I told you how my day was. I, I don't want to answer this. I don't know you. Yeah, no, I, I get I get questions like that in the ER, and it's and I just kind of end up. Say, I my script is like, I really appreciate you asking. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a long answer though, <laughs> but and the, and they just kind of go from there, and then just back to yeah. back to character. Yeah, because oh, you don't pretend that you didn't hear it. <laughs> no, <laughs> these people, these people, are, oh. these people are in my face. I don't get to go back. <laughs> I don't have like a kitchen to hide in. Even the nurses' station, they can come and find me. <laughs> <laughs> see i've done that in the uber before whenever i've gotten a really stupid question oh you were talking to me uh, I, I didn't realize you've never done that you should try it it's really fun do you actually like hum a little too you just kind of go <laughs> i don't like you <laughs> it's more just like a <laughs> and hear you over my pleasant honey. like like you have to pretend that you're daydreaming like you've totally lost interest in the conversation and now you're lost in thought and then move on with your day before we sign off i want to hear a little bit about current projects uh from everybody who's here all right jason come on down tell all the people here at the writing blog podcast where we can find your work what it's called and what's it about bob barker has beckoned it was a nice intro. I don't know if I could live up to that. I have, a, I have a short story in the first writing block anthology called Like Clockwork. I am working on a comic book now. Uh, That's awesome. Scripting that and working with an artist on that. And uh, it's going really well. And uh, I did write a novel, which I will eventually uh, publish someday, which is a science fiction space opera novel. Is that To Live and Die in Avalon? To Live and Die in Avalon, yes. I'm glad you're still working on that. What's the what's the comic thing called? Um, I don't have a, we don't have a title for it yet. We're still like kind of working out the specifics, but we did I did script uh, the first issue and it's, and it's kind of a uh, it takes place in the 20s and it's a noir detective story with some kind of kind of Lovecraftian overtones. I like that. And it's it's actually really funny too because we 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 did we made the decision that if we're going to deal with all this dark and spooky stuff we've got to be really sarcastic about it so right on so it's a lot of fun so far and um i will start plugging the the crap out of it once i have a title for it that's awesome do you want to mention the artist you're working on like yeah her name is angela guyton uh angela is her website she we we many years ago we got the wild hair to make a comic book together we made something entirely different that didn't really go anywhere because we were both younger and dumber at the time and not really as invested as we are now yeah i think we're both i think the enthusiasm we uh, is is mutual because um we've been working on it nonstop, like every day basically so it's it's that's awesome coming along really great you're gonna make a comic i mean that blows my mind i think that's great agreed so kendra what's in your lap right now i mean like not literally figuratively i mean but- i could answer both they're both books uh <laughs> 
<laughs> nice. Um, so uh, I've got my Valen Broken series, the first of which is Borhole Bazaar. The Last Shadows just came out. Um, and then I'm I'm working on the third one. I'm, I don't know. I've probably got about 45 hours left on it before it's ready to go, which will take like a year. But, you know, and it is way darker than the first. The second one's not so bad. The fr- The third one is... I can't say it's the darkest in the series because like just it's it's a dark series, but it's a whole new kind of horrible and fun at the same time. Yeah. No, I love that series. I mean, I've I've been involved in it and I, I greatly support it. It's funny because the first time I remember you introducing me to it, you were already giving me warnings about it. Well, I've had three people, like three different individuals come up to me after I uh, reading this book. It was triggering PTSD episodes. Oh, wow. So don't like I I was like, buy it, but don't <laughs> read it. But make sure you have a safety network. Don't don't hurt yourself. <laughs> and people are like, oh, I'll get mm. this for my 13 year old. I'm like, how fucked up is your 13 year old? Because otherwise, no, it's very real. It, it doesn't hold back. And that's what I, I, I like about it is that uh, I love about it. It delves deep. It's not reserved. It's 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 great because it's not trying to impress somebody. It's just lay. it's painting the it's, picture. So soapbox a little bit. Uh, so growing up, there were things that I witnessed, things that happened to me that were a bit rough around the edges. And not to air any of those publicly or anything, but there weren't a lot of books that had that sort of the actual things I was observing laid out. It was always off screen. When I was a kid, I had uh, one of my friends when she was 12 was raped by a 34 year old. A little bit later that year, I had another friend who was uh, also sexually accosted. I had it's just like between eighth grade and graduating high school, I lost fourteen people. Jeez. And so like, but all of this, of course, happens directly to me, and I'm always told by all the books that I'm reading, not explicitly, but oh, when you talk about it, you should have it off stage. Yeah. You, know, you shouldn't tell people exactly yeah. what's happening. And when you're dealing with seeing that kind of stuff, being told that you're not supposed to share it even tangentially is like by Shakespeare, it's kind of very damaging. So I refuse to mm. have that happen off stage. I'll make it fantasy. Like there's, you know, it's elves and bugbears. Like you can remove yourself from it, but at the same time, and I have great conversations with folks who will re- like, tell me what part they're at. And so there's one scene, it's not really spoiling anything. Cause I want to give you character names where one of the characters tries to hang themselves and gives every classic warning sign beforehand. And that yeah. scene, people will talk, come up to me and just start talking about people they've lost. And sometimes they'll say, like, I've never told anyone this before, but... And then they'll give their whole, like, story. And I'm like, that feels valuable. But it's also like, don't read it without a cup of hot cocoa. Just just don't. No, I applaud you for writing about it. Definitely. Um, Wholeheartedly. Yeah, the third book is, uh, again, like, it's not too far from being ready to go. I need one more beta read. Um, I'm doing a second second edition of my Trashy Vampire Romance. I write these for my mom, um, and she sends me trashy romance to read, to be inspired, to go the right path. And so I write, a, like I have a rule, or I had a rule when I was writing them. If it takes me more than two weeks to write this 70,000 word thing, then I'm thinking too much. Uh, they're, they're great trash, but they are definitely trash. That is a speed goal. That just makes me sad. Your mom reads the things that you write? <laughs> My mom has not read any of the Vow and Broken series. She has them. She owns many of the earlier drafts and manuscripts. She's read the first chapter. 
And then she's like, this makes me sad. Okay, I feel better now. <laughs> yeah, but when I showed her a book that had her name as dedicated to my mom, she's like, I must read this. Which, by the way, if you're trying to get a parent to read something, just dedicate it to them and they'll feel obligated. I did. It's, just, uh, it's, it's a coffee table book. And I wonder what that's uh, like for my mom. Because it's like probably a point of pride where she goes, look, my son wrote a book. I don't know what it's about, but he wrote a book. Not how my mom talks and mom, I love you. If you want to read it and summarize it for me, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> he's really smart. He He's really smart. So you'll probably like it. <laughs> And that's part of the dialogue thing in that sort of tone. I'd, I'd picture like a, without it being even dictated, I picture a mom like putting out a cigarette in the middle of like all that or something. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. I will say, oh, a uh, bodily description that never makes sense to me. Like, why is it strawberry hair? I have a brother who has, you know, straight up orange hair and it is pumpkin colored. It's not colored like a strawberry. If you're eating a strawberry that's that color, you're doing something wrong to your body. Yeah. If anything, it's a Duracell. It could be a Duracell. It could be a salmon berry. Ooh, it's, yeah. It's not a strawberry. As a ginger, I resemble that. <laughs> well, my son, who is, uh, you know, redhead as the colloquial turn goes, he, he will correct people because his favorite color is orange. And people, like strangers in the grocery store, will say, oh, I love his red hair. And he goes, no, it's orange. <laughs> he's three. <laughs> Why does he sound like Cookie Monster? Because he's three. <laughs> <laughs> and he watches Cookie Monster a lot. He loves this cookie orange hair. It's, it's actually helped me. And I've wondered about that, too. It's like, it's never been red hair. <laughs> like, they say strawberry blonde. And I'm like, those, neither of those things describe what this is at all. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you mix strawberry and blonde, don't you get kind of a pink right? hue? But it's is like almost a salmon color. Yeah, salmon. Yeah, I, yeah, okay. Salmon hair is mm. <laughs> smells delicious, right? <laughs> you are not bathing properly. I will admit, sometimes I do have salmon hair, but that's just because I'm not very tidy when I eat. The salmon gets all up in your hair. That's, you're really enjoying that. <laughs> you only live once, right? You haven't lived until you put salmon in your hair. We, we did not reveal this at the beginning of the podcast, but Kendra is actually a grizzly bear who resides in Alaska at the top of stream. Plot twist. She's an excellent writer, though. She's an excellent writer. But How she does it with those claws, though. Oh, it's just a though. clicky-clack. But she... Clicky-clack. <laughs> <laughs> clicky-clack. Oh, my God. Well, uh, I guess at uh, <laughs> to, to avoid this being the longest podcast in history, um, I'd like to keep talking with you all, but this has been an excellent uh, example of what it's like to enjoy talking to other authors who are amazing and excellent. And um, and I, I love all three of you. And thank you for joining us and talking about dialogue. I hope uh, everybody else got something out of it other than the fact that... And you shouldn't get salmon in your hair. I mean, it makes cats really like you. And on that note... <laughs> clicky-clack, everyone. Go out and clicky-clack. Clicky-clack.